Hey, it's Dan Harmon from Harmontown. I want to tell you about an exciting new podcast coming to Feral Audio called Launch Left. Rain, Phoenix, and Moon Zappa are going to interview extraordinary minds, mavericks, and pioneers in their fields. This season, Launch Left is going to celebrate nonconformists like Michael Stipe, Shepard Ferry, Spike Jones, Mario Batali, and many others. And those guests are also going to spotlight their favorite left-of-center emerging artists. So listen and subscribe now at feralaudio.com slash left, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can do it however you want, man. That's the nonconformist part. Guys, finding quality denim jeans is tough. And to find a good pair without breaking the bank is just uh, almost impossible. But at Distilled, spelled D-S-T-L-D, you get like brand top quality jeans at a price that won't break your bank. And I know I said break the bank, but I like saying break the bank. And I'll say it again. Break the bank. But just go to distilled.com, D-S-T-L-D. LD.com right now and use a promo code FERAL and check out and get a 20% discount on your first pair. And these are great jeans. I love them. I wear them all the time. Heck, I sleep in them. Distilled jeans. They're the best jean you're ever going to wear. In fact, I shower in them. Distilled jeans. D-S-T-L-D. They're good quality, super duper denim. And, you know, it's not going to cost you like $200 or $100. Go to distilled.com, D-S-T-L-D.com. Do it. Get some jeans. Look cool. Feral Audio. Hey, everybody. You looking to uh, get your sexing to be better sexing while you have your sex? Uh, Have you been wanting to surprise the person you make the sexes with with some kind of adventuresome things in the bedroom, like toys or luby things? (laughs) Uh, Well, uh... Here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com for a limited time only, and you'll get 50% off just about any item. Uh, But that's not all. Uh, When you select your one item at 50% off, you'll also receive three adult DVDs for inspiration. Yeah, watch people do things you didn't think were possible, and then try to do them yourself, and hopefully you succeed. Plus, uh, you'll also get a free gift that is just, like, so awesome that it's a secret that I can't tell you, but you'll find out when you order uh, at adamandeve.com. So check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer, and remember, type in DeWire, D-W-Y-E-R. That's your uh, offer code upon checkout, and you'll uh, get your three DVDs, a free extra gift, and free shipping. So remember to use the offer code D-W-Y-E-R, DeWire, at adamandeve.com. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Conversations with Matt DeWire. If you like my theme music there, that is a band called Les Blanks. Check that shit out, please. They are real good. Real good. Uh, LesBlanks.com. If you haven't listened to the show before, it is just what this title describes. It's a conversation with me, and I talk with somebody fascinating. Today is a really fascinating conversation with Tony Fitzpatrick. He's a Chicago artist, and man, oh man, does this guy got tales. You like, you want to hear tales about Lou Reed, John Basquiat, Jean-Claude, what's his name? Jean-Michael Basquiat. <laughs> I just totally butchered that guy. Basquiat, you know, the artist there. I'll just get the word of his name I can say. Keith Herring, Lou Reed, uh, Steve Earle. He talks, it's fucking, 
this there's so much packed into this episode you won't know what hit you. Uh, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, this episode comes out November 20th, 2013. Uh, it is November 19th, 2013. And today I turned 45 years old. Thank you very much. Believe me, I didn't think I'd make it this far. There was, there's been a lot of coke up this nose and a lot of booze down this gullet and God knows what in between. But, um, it is nice to wake up on my 45th year. Probably the happiest I've ever been in my entire life. Um, I did not get rich. I did not get super famous, which are two things I pursued my whole life. And it is nice to learn that those are not the things that make you happy. Don't get me wrong. Like a shit ton of money definitely would make me sleep a little better at night, but uh my girlfriend my dog and giving into the to giving into life and just letting yourself enjoy life without worrying about career and how others view you and your fucking ego those are the things just i to let all that go and just be like you know what i'm going to enjoy my relationship i'm going to enjoy my dog and i'm going to enjoy uh cooking with them and maybe eating some pizza tonight with my friends and uh i don't know i don't know if that's a ramble or what I just want to tell you that I'm just happy in life, and it took me 45 years. I'm a late bloomer. I'm a dumb fuck. <laughs> so, fuck it. Happy birthday to me. Thank you for listening to the show. Here's Tony Fitzpatrick. Uh, the one thing I saw that uh, fascinated me is bef- before you were uh, an artist, or I guess it was at the same time as you were a professional boxer at the age of 19? Yeah, yeah, 18. Yeah, um, and, uh, you know, not, <laughs> not a very memorable one, you know? Uh, so they, it didn't last long, and, uh, and I, I found out exactly. It's one of, those, uh, one of those things that lets you know exactly where you stand. Uh, in a very big hurry, you know, so, you know, you'll find out that, you you know, you weren't ever going to uh, beat the guy who was fighting for his next meal, you know, what, so. What led you into boxing, though? It was, was that a villa? Uh, you know, mostly uh, that, you know, I, I, I did it as a kid and, and then, uh, uh, you know, had, you know, delusions of, well, I'm, I'm a tough guy. I'm big enough, strong enough. And, uh, was, was not <laughs> allowed to carry that fantasy any further forward, uh, in very short order. I did a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I drove a truck. I, I worked as a cement finisher, as a bartender, as a bouncer, um, as a caddy for a very long time. Uh, you know, so I had a, a lot of different kind of jobs and life experiences. Uh, you know, I had a few jobs in factories. I ran a coil press and uh, made electronic transformers and and, uh, and shaped magnetronics in beautiful Addison, Illinois. Um, uh, I had a lot of uh, kind of manual labor jobs before my work started selling. The last gig I had was uh, as a bartender. Um, shortly after I got sober, my my friend Mike Brennan hired me to work in his bar, and he, he had also stopped drinking. So 
Um, not the best advice for somebody newly sober, but honestly, it was a job that uh, helped me stay sober. You know, I mean, my friends would come in at seven o'clock and by 10 o'clock, you know, fucking creatures had come out, you know, so it was uh, it was a good kind of lesson to me in uh, maintaining control and, and, and uh, knowing where the uh, the folly lay, you know, which which bars did you work at? Uh, I worked at Brennan's Pub in Villa Park, which was formerly known as 10,000 Horses. I worked at Friends and Company in Villa Park on Villa Avenue. I worked at Punky's in Lombard for a while. I attended bar at a steak and ale on Roosevelt Road in Glen Ellen for a little while. Um, I was kind of a career bartender for, for a while there, you know. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I mean, I bartended at uh, Burton Place in Chicago for a while. And, oh yeah, I know Burton Place. Yeah, right in Old Town there. Yeah, and I was twenty one, and I. Th- you must have served Bob Roth a drink or two. <laughs> I, he, he lived right upstairs from there. Oh, I think. I'm sure, I did. Then I, you know, I was twenty one, so I was. Yeah. I was, I was sampling the wares quite often. Myself. Yeah, I know a bunch <laughs> of guys who drank in that place: Dave Hoekstra, Bob Roth, and. You know, it used to be they they kind of hang out for all the 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 last of the old town lefties. You know, before real estate kind of pushed those guys out of the neighborhood. You know, yeah. that that bar got pretty coky <clears throat> as well. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Were, now, were you doing like when were you doing art the whole time? Like even like in high school? Yeah, yeah. I mean, since I was a little boy, you know. And you just. Uh... I mean, I I really you know I really got a career kind of. Uh, by hap- by incrementally ha- happy accidents, I, I uh, you know when I was twenty two or twenty three years old, I didn't ever think I was going to make a living at this. So I was kind of liberated from all of the ambitions of uh, you know other artists of my generation. I mean, they all had gone to art school and, and stuff and and had you know, a career path and, and, uh, and, you know, a way of kind of navigating the ladder. Um, I never expected to make a living. So I, I, you know, the, the, the fact that I did came as, uh, you know, nobody was more surprised than I was, to be honest with you. Um, I followed a girl to New York and, uh, she promptly uh, broke my heart, and uh, I found myself in Washington Square selling my slate drawings. Because I'd gone to a bunch of galleries in the East Village, and, and you know, um, contrary to my character, I mean, I was a little intimidated by all of it. Uh, they were like, well, you have to have slides of your work to show us, and you drop them off. And, you know, so I really could not get through the door. And... Um, so one day I, I was sitting in the East Village right by the, uh, the fountain in Washington Square there, and um, I put a bunch of my slate drawings out, just kind of leaned up against the, uh, the fountain. I was working on another one, and this kid with a crew cut and, and funny glasses walks up, and he goes, wow, these are really terrific. What what do you get for these? And, you know, honestly, until that moment, I hadn't ever really thought about it, you know? So just you know it was kind of a reflex i said well you know 50 bucks and uh the guy bought three of them (laughs) and he said are you gonna be here tomorrow i said you coming back (laughs) you know (laughs) and he came back with uh 
this this Haitian kid uh, with a funny haircut, and um, he bought uh, four of them. You know, the remaining four that I had, I had two that were not quite complete yet. You know, and they're kind of talking to each other, and then one of them uh, uh, says to me, "You know, there's." There's an easier way to do this. Do you got like a half an hour? I said, sure, you know, I mean, but uh, it was the first time I'd ever made any money. And they, they walked me to the corner of 7th and Avenue B. And the whole way we're on the way there, people were kind of, you know, noticing these guys and greeting them. And, hey, and, you know, and I began to realize there's somebody. I didn't, I didn't know who, you know. And consequently they walked me through the door of a gallery at 7th and B Phoenix City Gallery and the woman who I had seen not three days before like practically killed herself getting out from behind the desk to run up and air kiss and hug and all that shit and and uh, I thought you know I don't know who these guys are but they're, they're somebody you know and it turned out it was Keith Haring and Jean-Michel Basquiat. Jesus and, uh, Yeah, exactly. You know, what a shit kicker I was. You know, I mean, I was just, I had heard of them, but I in, in no way thought that, you know, uh, I'd never ever seen a picture of either one of them. Or, um, and the, the woman looked at me and she, she said, you look familiar, but we met, you know, and I said, no, no, I get that a lot, you know. <laughs> Even though we'd met three days before, she barely looked up from her desk. And um, uh, anyway, Keith said, you know, we just bought all this guy's drawings. And you should look at these and you should really exhibit this guy. And, uh, you know, both of those men are gone now. And um, in everything I've ever read about them, uh, nobody ever gave you the idea of just how incredibly generous they were, you know. Um, believe me, there was nothing in it for either one of them to help me, and they did it anyway. Uh, you know, you've always heard these stories about how cold and cruel New York is, and to be honest with you, I've never been treated with anything other than kindness, you know. And uh, uh, I, and, and I mean, it's, it's really, it's embarrassing now that uh, what kind of a rube I was, you know. <laughs> I didn't uh, um, know who either of these guys were, and and I found out in, in you know in damn short order that you know they were kind of the you know kind of at that time the you know kind of the reigning princes of the East Village art scene, and that uh, they took time out to to help me was just uh, um, uh, an incredibly uh, fortuitous, and uh, I'm. I'm, I'm be grateful about it the rest of my life. I mean, um, it kind of started everything rolling. And uh, so this woman gave me a show and, and said in six months we'll have the, the, the show. And I uh, came back to Chicago and I was I was fairly terrified, you know, because uh, um, I'd always, you know, had this, you know, uh, I was newly sober and I still had some of that residual you know, uh, alcoholics, uh, self-pity about, well, I've never gotten the breaks. Well, here's a chance, you know, this, this is definitely a break. So, you know, don't fuck it up. And, uh, the show went up, uh, and they sold a few things opening night and it was, you know, nicely attended. And, uh, both Keith and Jean-Michel showed up and, and that was a big boost. I mean, 
the minute they were at the place, you know, the place kind of filled and, um, you know, I got some, some, some nice notices. And, uh, then the second to the last day before the show, uh, uh, the director, Jonathan Demi happened in there and bought the rest of the drawings. Um, and I remember because I was tending bar at Brennan's and it was the Super Bowl that the Bears won. And I got a phone call and she said, well, are you sitting down? It's like, well, I got like 300 people in here. I can't really sit down. What? Get to it, you know? She said, well, the, the rest of your show just sold out, you know? And then it was bought by a a film director named named Jonathan Demi, who I was familiar with because I'd seen uh, Stop Making Sense. And, uh, and um, a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call uh, that he'd like me to come inside. At the time, I'd, I'd never really signed the drawings. I kind of still don't, you know. I just, would I please sign the back of them? So the next time I was in New York, I signed the back of them and, we met, and uh, Jonathan was just finishing a film called uh, Something Wild, and he hired me to do the, the, the soundtrack al- album cover. This is how long ago it was. There were still albums, you know? <laughs> I mean, now there, there are, again, I mean, now, you know, Steve Earle and, and everybody are pressing wax, you know? But uh, back then, you know, they were still making album covers, and album cover art was... Uh, was kind of a, a good place for me for a while. I mean, um, not long after that, I got hired to do uh, the cover for Yellow Moon uh, by the Neville Brothers. And you know, what's crazy is uh, that was I had that album, and I used to when I read that you did that album, I used to stare at that album cover for like I'd listen to it and stare at it. Oh, bless you, man! Thank you. You know, I mean, it was pretty well researched. You know, they. Uh, in the old days, you know, A&M uh, was owned by Herb Alpert, you know, and he was a big Neville fan, and they kind of gave me carte blanche. They sent me to New Orleans for two weeks, and I met, you know, all the brothers and uh, mostly hung around with Charlie, you know, the horn player, who's he's a real history nut, you know, and he gave me a book called Up From the Cradle, which is about the history of New Orleans music, and... Um, that took me around, you know, took me to Congo Square, it took me to where where where, uh, where music started in New Orleans, you know, um, pointed out where Storyville used to be and uh, um, told me about their, their uncle, Chief Jolly, who was, was, of course, you know, founded the Wild Chapatulas with them before the, they were the Neville brothers. And um, uh, I got this real history lesson in, in American music and in, in the foment and, and, and precisely what we owe to the city of New Orleans that gave us our first uh, native art form, you know, jazz. Um, so I, I got a real uh, tutorial and, and where all the music that I'd loved my whole life came from, you know, and, and traveled from. It came up the Mississippi and uh, and the, the the musical kind of conduit between Chicago and New Orleans and and Chicago and Louisiana in general um, was phenomenal. You know, uh, Louis Armstrong uh, all the way to Buddy Guy. You know, um, you know Chicago, the the this kind of the birthplace of the electric blues. Really, you know, I mean the. Uh, uh, the the blues that evolved out of the church, you know, was, was you know obviously all through the South, 
But in Chicago, on the on the west side, there was guitar blues, you know, and on the south side, there was piano blues. And when the two met, it just became magical, you know. And uh, uh, so I got this this great uh, history lesson from you know guys who did this for a living. And uh, you know, music's been you know part of the equation my whole career. Do you think that uh, it's been vitally important to me? You know. Yeah, I think that's a very Chicago thing too. I mean, it's that was. I mean, I remember. Oh, very much. I mean, you look at the Chicago artists. I mean, you know, Carl Wilson was was very inspired by you know Junior Wells, and uh, and and Ed Paschke loved blues, and and yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it's it's kind of the oral wallpaper of our life here. You know, this this music. Do you feel like because? Uh, I mean, I feel like record albums and uh, like that art has gotten lost a little bit because then it got shrunk down at CDs and now I'd have to. Yeah, I mean, luckily I make small work. So, I mean, I didn't uh, I always had more work than I wanted, really. I mean, when I started doing Steve Earle's album covers, um, I didn't do anybody else's for about 15 years because I never wanted to muddy the water for Steve or anyone else. Um you know, when people saw my work, they knew it was a Steve Earle record, you know. And, uh, you know, I'd done some work for Lou Reed's record, set the Twilight Railing and, and uh, the Neville Brothers cover. And a few, you know, other smaller bands. But but, but mostly for the last uh, 20 years, it's been, uh, or at least since I feel all right, you know, which is now, yeah, 20 years. Jesus, where did it go? Um <laughs> It's been Steve's covers, you know. I mean, I've turned down a lot uh, because it was always more work than I really wanted. I mean, I just recently did a cover uh, for uh, Big Head Todd and the Monsters, um, who have yeah. agreed to do, who have agreed to do some uh, uh, benefit for uh, the Greater Chicago Food Depository in exchange for the artworking. And um, but Todd Parkmore is a great guy, you know, and, and a guy very informed and, and, and formed by, by Chicago blues. You know, he grew up in Colorado and, uh, and spent the last two years of Hubert Sumlin life, Sumlin's life kind of traveling with him and, and, and learning blues. And, uh, he's kind of, you know, uh, slowly but surely crossed over into that idiom. And, uh, I met him in, in Chicago after my play, uh, stations lost. And we hit it off, and uh, I saw some of his blues shows, and I thought, boy, he's he's really evolved into something uh, that's kind of way beyond just just for a rock and roll band, you know. I mean, uh, he's deepened his narrative and his gift, and uh, you know, I was was proud to do it. The, you know, the record's called Black Beehive; it'll be out in a little while. Yeah, I used to, I used to see him play. I remember that. I don't know if you remember Cross Currents. That was, I think. Jesus, I can't even. Yeah, yeah, it was at Belmont and uh, Belmont and Linton, was it? Yeah, I, Jesus, I think I was like eighteen, but I'd seen him play there. A bunch. It was right off of the Belmont L stop there. Yeah, yeah, because they used to do. Yeah. They used to do like uh, there used to be a lot of performance art that went on in there as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Goodman and uh, uh, Mitch Kovic, I believe, ran the place. Man, your, your memory is way better than mine. <laughs> yeah, well, I've been sober for 30 years, you know. 
did you do uh, Steve Earle's book cover? He had that novel come out. Yeah, yeah, I've done, I've done both of them. I've done uh, I'll Never Get Out of This World Alive and Doghouse Roses. i got to read Doghouse. Yeah, Steve and I have been dear friends since the early 80s, you know. Did he stop in um, Chicago for a while or am I nuts? No, uh, well, he taught at the Old Town School of Folk Music here for a little while in the... Uh, in the uh, late 90s and, and stayed here for a winter, which he will never do again. <laughs> you know, he's um, but uh, Chicago has always been his best city in the in the U.S. You know, when Guitar Tone hit, which is about when he and I, well, we met before that. But um, when Guitar Tone hit, it hit biggest here. You know, uh, I remember the night Steve Earle became a star. He played a dollar show at the Park West. And I got, uh, I, you know, miraculously had a dollar that night, you know, so I got in and um, I just walked right onto his bus, you know. I wanted to thank him for the marvelous show. And he ran out of encores. You know, they played every song that he knew and uh, the crowd kept screaming for more. And, and, it was clear that this was uh, the groundswell of a, the beginning of a, uh, um, a luminous and enlightening career. You know, he's been, he's been great for American music. I mean, he's the closest thing we have to, you know, Woody Guthrie or, or uh, Lib Belly or, you know, I mean, you know, Steve has uh, honored a, a long tradition while completely, you know, being his own. There, there, there are like three kind of luminous presences for me in American music, and it was Steve Earle, Bob Dylan, and Lou Reed. You know, I mean, those were my guys. And you were you were friends with Lou Reed as well, right? Yeah, yeah, he was a dear friend of mine, and uh, and uh, I'm still, uh, you know, uh, there's still an immense, furious sense of loss. At, uh, Losing Lou, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I met him in the, uh, the early nineties, uh, when, you know, he was already, you know, the name was already cast in stone and, uh, you know, for all the flintiness and argumentativeness I heard about Lou, he was never anything but, but kind and, uh, and, and good to me, you know, and, you know, I remember the first time I heard Walk on the Wild Side. I was in seventh grade. You know, I was this little Catholic school nerd. And I remember hearing it and thinking, you know, I don't know what what this song's about exactly, but I know it has something to do with me. <laughs> you know, and it was it was like this. It was like that, 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 that whistle that only dogs can hear. You know, um, you know, junkies, gay people, artists. Uh, weirdos, people who just didn't fit between the lines. This was like our anthem, you know. It was, uh, we're not going to go away and hide anymore. We walk among you, and we're the ones who push the cultural conversation forward. I mean, it was, an, it was, it was kind of a liberating moment. It's one of those, one of those songs that uh, that set me free, you know. Yeah, I I remember that and just hearing the Velvet Underground in general, and it was like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was nothing else like them, you know? Yeah, it made you... I mean, without the Velvets, you don't have glam rock, you don't have punk rock, you know? I mean, they, uh, you know, say what they will about Andy Warhol. I mean, what he unleashed on the world culturally is still with us. It's still resonating, and it's still evolving. Yeah. You know, um... 
you know, but, but, you know, Lou was part of all of that tidal cultural change that happened. I mean, and I, I'm, I'm making a whole body of drawings right now, just about the song walk on the wild side, because I think it was one of those bellwether moments in, in, in music and rock and roll, you know? Uh, and, uh, you know, every time I hear it, uh, I think of something else. You know, it, it it makes the argument that all great art makes. It keeps beginning. You know, it keeps becoming. It keeps uh, being new, you know. Yeah. And music, and I think I read music, Chicago, and your father are three part, three big things that, that take place in your art. Yeah, and my mother, you know, who's, who's still alive, was 89 years old, and She'll kill me for telling you her real age. My mother lies about her age, you know. And she's a daily communicant who says no Venus for her atheist son. And, uh, um, but, you know, both of my parents, I mean, I didn't, uh, I, I was lucky. I was, uh, my parents were my salvation. They, they, uh, they never gave up on me, you know. So, um, I, you know, when it comes to the lotto, I, I hit it big time. I had, uh, I'm one of eight children and, uh, my parents, uh, at many times could have, and probably should have just written my ass off and, and, uh, they would not do it. You know, uh, there's no quit in either one of them, you know, and, uh, you know, every, everything I've been able to achieve is, uh, due to, uh, uh, them, you know. That's, uh, yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I, I grew up, I, I was the youngest of five, and I just kind of grew up in a sort of a... Another Catholic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And atheist, so we got a lot of... Yeah, you know, at a certain point, you know, some of those Catholics should have just put a rubber machine in the bathroom like at the gas station, you know? Yeah. I, I, you know? I don't think uh, my parents planned anybody beyond the first two. Parents. No, of course they didn't. Of course they didn't. And they believe they didn't believe in that 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 birth control stuff either. You know, like every time I I see a rubber machine, <laughs> I take out my sharpie and I write, "Gee, this gum tastes funny." <laughs> on it. <laughs> uh, we, had, we had a Chicago copper on the corner from us, and I think they had like twelve or. 12 oh yeah, yeah, it was. Just, uh, yeah, the, 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 you know, there was just, you know, they accused the priests of everything now except birth control, you know, Christ, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, I was raised Catholic and I mean, and, and I think that went a long way, to, uh, I, I mean, I think one of the most vital questions you can answer for yourself at some point is, do you believe or don't you, you know, um, you know, people think that when you don't have a deity, when you don't believe in a supreme being, that you don't believe in anything, which could not be further from the truth. I mean, I believe in the transformative power of, of art and music and medicine and science and poetry and uh, uh, nature. You know, uh, I mean, you know, shedding the, the one big lie allowed me to believe in everything else in a more human and 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 uh full voiced way you know so um yeah i mean contrary to what people think i mean i i don't uh i also don't you know i'm not one of those atheists that's out there trying to make a church out of it i'm not 
an activist atheist. I'm not trying to create more atheists. It's like I'm I'm content to let people believe whatever the hell they need to believe. You know, I mean. Yeah, I think people um, people need a myth a lot, or a lot of people. I mean, I mean, even like. Well, they need the carrot on the stick, you know, or else they'll run them. They'll run amok, you know. It's like if they don't think they'll burn in hell, they might just go out and you know machine gun thirty or forty fuckers, you know. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there there are some people that it's maybe better off that they do believe that. I mean, I don't get it, but um, you know, I don't, I don't find any percentage in trying to tell people what to believe, you know. Um, my mother's a uh, staunchly faithful Catholic, and uh, I believe that religion has done for her what it was what it's supposed to do for people. I believe it gave her a sense of peace and a foundation of something to believe in, and and uh, and uh, uh, a philosophy of uh, of kindness. You know, I mean, and that's not you know, there's certainly nothing bad about that. I mean. You know, I, I take issue with people who, uh, you know, worship Christ and then, you know, um, go out and harass, you know, gay people or, or uh, you know, uh, immigrants or, uh, you know, uh, who behave in the most unchristlike ways, you know. I mean, honestly, when they, you know, when they burn down this country, you know, the guy carrying the gas can will also have a flag and a cross. <laughs> That's true. It seems to be the biggest shit disturber. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think artists, I think we, we try to make sense of it. I, I think when you look at uh, the history of any culture, you know, the photographs will tell you some of the story, and uh, history is kind of the lie we've all agreed upon. But when you look at the art, that's the psychological x-ray of every culture. You know, that's where they don't lie. That's where they don't hide. You know, that's where people tell you who they are. Hey, everybody. We're at the midway point of the show. I want to thank you very much for listening to this episode with Tony Fitzpatrick, and we're going to get right back to it real soon. I just have a couple things I need to say as quickly as I can. Thank you again for listening. Uh, if you can, uh, we kind of scrape by here at Feral Audio. You know, we do our best. But if you could donate some money, that would be uh, mean a great deal to us. Um, you can go to my page there at feralaudio.com. There's a donate button. Anything you can, a dollar, two dollars, really helps us out. It helps me buy periodicals and books that I read for research or to buy equipment uh, or to eat food sometimes. Um, if you can't donate, I totally understand. Tough times. Uh, you could buy things. You could do your Christmas shopping through Amazon and go to my Amazon link, also on my Feral Audio page, and link that. And I, uh, I and Feral Audio get a kickback of that money, and that would be really helpful, and we would be greatly appreciative. Um, also, if you can write a review for me on iTunes, give me five stars, say something nice, that really helps out. That's maybe even as good, if not more so good, than uh, the old cash. And follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore Dwyer at the Twitter.com. All right, we are back to the show. Do you feel like, um, and just being a Chicagoan, I don't know, I feel, and I don't know if this is my arrogance about Chicago, but I feel like storytellers and artists and creative people have a kind of a different work ethic in Chicago where there's a more, 
I mean, well, this is a town where you came to get a job. I mean, I, I mean, just look at the name of some of the streets on the south side, Exchange, Commerce. It was, you can tell what the settlers of Chicago had on their mind. This was a city people came to because they knew they could get a job. Um, Chicago, for, for an artist, is a marvelous city because uh, unless you live to see yourself electronically reproduced, um, it's affordable. Um, it's uh, got one of the great art collections in the world in the Art Institute of Chicago. Um, there's a big enough art scene where there's a real discourse. And, uh, you know, the weather's shitty six months a year, so, you know, you can stay in and work instead of going out and cabareting all the time, you know? it's uh, um, This is a place where you can be about the work. You know, I mean, I love New York City. I mean, it was, and it's the place where my career started and nurtured and kind of still where I make most of my income, you know. But um, if I had to live in New York, I mean, I'm, I've got the attention span of a housefly, you know. Um, I'm so ADD, it's not even funny, you know. And it's always, oh, Tony sees something shiny, you know. <laughs> and um, so... I would be so easily distracted that I, I would probably not get the things done that I need to. Um, so Chicago is kind of a no bullshit place, you know, and uh, and and you know, it, it's a good place to seriously make a body of work, you know. And then, so, unlike New York and Los Angeles, you're kind of able to shut out the noise here. You know, and I, I think that's the the most precious gift I've been able to cultivate is that um, I can uh, focus and and not be distracted by what's being said or what's in the paper, or what's in the magazines. And you know, New York and L.A., you're constantly reminded of the whirling dervish of media that surrounds you. And in Chicago, for some reason, we don't really have as much of that, you know, for better and worse. But, but it's, you know, in my case, it's been a good thing. It's allowed me to focus and, and concentrate on, on uh, the, the work that I need to, to finish. You know, it's also, you know, I make part of my living as an actor. It's a great town for theater. We have the best theater in the world here. We have the best theater company in the world, Steppenwolf. Um, and, and, you know, nine or ten others that are damn near on the same level. You know, I mean, uh, this is a great place to see theater done, performed, written. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great community. And, 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 of course, it's a city of storytellers. I mean, you know, look at, you know, the embarrassment of riches we've had. You know, Studs Terkel, Mike Royko, Nelson Algren. Uh, Lorraine Hansberry, Gwendolyn Brooks, Hockey Madam Booty, uh, Sylvia Cisneros. Um, you know, uh, you know, we've we've been very very fortunate. Yeah, those the first three you uh, mentioned. I mean, Royko, I was a childhood fan of. I read that column every day. Oh yeah, I mean, he he was my my hero as a kid. You know, I mean, I I got to know him a little bit later on. 
you know, and I don't think he ever knew my name. He just knew that I drew pictures. And he always called me Picasso. Hey, Picasso, what are you doing? You know, uh, hey, Picasso, get a haircut. You know. <laughs> I saw him stumble out of the uh, Billy Goat. I was, I think, I was like twenty, twenty-one, and he, yeah. And I mean, to me, like most people would probably shit their pants if they saw John Lennon. Like to me, that was like that was God. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, 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 you know, Mike had that profile here in Chicago. I mean, particularly if you were any kind of writer. I don't care if you wrote poetry, if you wrote novels, if you, no matter what kind of writer you were. I mean, Royko was kind of a heavyweight, you know, uh, not kind of a heavyweight, a real heavyweight. You know, he won the Pulitzer Prize, and uh, he was also our voice against unbridled power. He was the guy who stood up to the dailies. You know, he was the guy who stood up to the big shots, to the money crowd. Um, you know, he, he, Mike Royko never forgot that he was raised on Milwaukee Avenue, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, he took a great deal of pride in, in um, being the kind of writer that working people read and revered, you know. I mean, um, you know, Mike Royko was, you know, loved in this city, you know, still is, you know, and, uh, you know, if you, if you believe what you read about him, you know, he, he, there was no small amount of torment to, you know, uh, with him either, you know, and, uh, uh, but boy, what a, what a voice for the city of Chicago, you know, I mean, you know, there, there are those guys, you know, in New York is Jimmy Breslin and, 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 uh, in L.A., I think, you know, one time it was Herb Cain or somebody like that. Uh, uh, and then later on, you know, guys like Charles Bukowski and, and uh, John Fonte and Raymond Chandler. But but Royko was distinctly Chicago, you know. I mean, um, people who came from the kind of background I came from, you know, working class Irish family. This is a guy you trusted. He was one of us. You know, he was not uh, one of the uh, landed gentry. He was, a, you know, he was a guy from the working class side of Chicago. And, you know, he, he, he like Carl Sandburg, um, his, his language was no less eloquent for being plain spoken. You know, Sandberg's poetry was no less beautiful for being accessible. And Mike Reichel, you know, told people in plain English and with great levity, brevity, and poetry exactly what was what. And, you know, they've been trying to imitate him ever since, and nobody's gotten it right. Do you feel that part of Chicago is uh, fading a little bit, or do you still feel like that there is that? No, I think there's some. I think there's some marvelous writers in Chicago still, you know, and still writing journalism. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Mark Conkle. You know, won the Pulitzer a couple of years ago, um, who used to write for the Sun Times, and now he writes for DNA Chicago. He's a neighborhood guy. He gets around. He, he listens to people. He's 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 a very good arbiter of what is a story and what isn't. You know, he doesn't give a shit about Miley Cyrus or twerking or any other goddamn thing. You know, Mark's, Mark's milieu and his metier is the city itself, you know. Uh, and uh, I read him every day. You know, he's one of the 
destination guys I read, you know, um, you know, Dave Hoekstra, who writes about music here and, and a lot of other stuff. Uh, but he writes about how people, you know, live their day to day and finds the uh, transcendent moments therein. You know, um, Mary Schmeek. You know, I mean, there, there, there are still lots of reasons to read the newspaper in Chicago. You know, that's good. I just, I hear. I mean, I have Rick Kogan. You know, I mean, Kogan is one of one of my heroes. I mean, Kogan is the last of that generation of guys. You know, he is the last of. The the guys who, you know, share that same, you know, uh, DNA of ink that Roy Cohen Studs and, and uh, John Julian and uh, all the other wonderful Chicago journalists had. Kogan's the last Mohican, you know, he's he's the guy who uh, who carries the stories. You know, he's our he's our last griot. Yeah, I just, I always, I, I haven't lived in the city in, uh, God, 12, 13 years. Where are you in Los Angeles? Yeah, but on the outskirts, man. They can't make a fucking hot dog in Los Angeles, sir. Oh, I'm fully aware of that. <laughs> yeah, them people can't make a fucking hot dog, and you can't get an Italian beef out there. Well, they opened up a Portillo's in, uh, outside of L.A., like in Buena Park. It's like an hour drive. Really? Yeah. and uh, Portillo's is good. Yeah, well, uh, my buddies and I will haul out there, but it's funny because people... What is, do they got the real Portillo's hot dogs, the real... They have it all flown in. They have Vienna the, beef, the real snap, everything. Yeah, they get the granola bread sent in. Yeah. Uh, it's, and the scallop sausage and all that. They, yeah, and they, they had a, a fucking Mr. Beef for two seconds in Venice Beach, and I don't know what happened to it. Oh, no shit, really? Yeah, it was like, I didn't even get to make it. It was that short. Well, oh, one time I went to get a hot dog. I, went, I stood in line for like 20 minutes at that place, Pink's. Oh, yeah. And there were people putting guacamole in a fucking hot dog. <laughs> the fuck is that? Uh, I mean, you put guacamole on my hot dog, I'll throw it at you, you know? <laughs> What kind of fucked up? Oh man, I'm, Jesus Christ! I'm fortunate enough to have a pizza place near me that's uh, actually in a Chicago family, and uh, I forget what place they stemmed out of from the South Side, and I think in Beverly. But they no, no, not either, uh, no, they do thin crust. It's Father more, and Sons. I think that might be it. They do, but it, they yeah, do. Father and Sons is good. Yeah. Oh no, no. I mean, it's uh, the family. It's their own. It isn't Fathers and Sons. It's like a neighborhood family. Aurelio's. I think that might be it. But yeah, Aurelio's is from the south side. They're from out, out south. Yeah, and I think, but this is like family members from that came here in the 50s or 60s and opened up a pizza place. They make their own sausage. Yeah, it's kind of a sweet sauce. It's got a little sweet in it. Yeah, they put fennel in their sausage like it's supposed yeah, to. Yeah, 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 that's good stuff. You don't, you don't, that's the, you know, they just do a lot of weird things in L.A. I think yeah. it's more the. I mean, look, I've had marvelous meals in Los Angeles. I mean, I've had, one of my favorite Mexican restaurants is there, Santa Maria de Garibaldi. Oh, where's that? I've never heard of that. that there's one in Santa Monica, and then there's one in, uh, in like, West Hollywood, over by where Billy Shire has his gallery. Or Wilshire. Somewhere on Wilshire, you know. But, um, but you you know, you all can't make a fucking hot dog, you know. It's... Oh, believe me. That one at Pink's, it's like, Jesus Christ. I haven't even wasted my time at Pink's. And I, first time I went to a Dodgers game, people were like, get a Dodger dog. I'm like, this is an extended cocktail weenie on a bun. <laughs> it's like... Exactly, yeah. It's... 
honest to God, I expect to find Baines in those hot dogs, you know? <laughs> Big blue one running down the middle, you know? <laughs> uh, something else I wanted to talk to you about, because th- uh, uh, our mutual pal Danny Bland told me that you... Uh who also is a, a great fucking writer. I can't plug that guy's book. Yeah, Danny's, in, in Case We Die, is the best novel I read this year. I, me too, uh, my girlfriend, you know, keep talking about it, and it's been a Yeah, yeah, and, it, and, the, and there's, it's got everything a great novel needs, you know, humor, heartbreak, you know. Um, you know, I met Danny uh, through Dave Alvin, you know, and because uh, he, he's, Danny's pretty much been a tour manager there for the last, Many many years, and every year they play the uh, uh, the American Music Festival at Fitzgerald's, and uh, Danny and I became pals. And I knew the novel was coming out, and you know I was honored that he asked me to read one of the audio chapters for the audio book. And boy, what wonderful company I'm in there! You know, I'm Amy Mann, uh, Dave Alvin, Steve Earle, John Doe. You know. Mark Boone Jr., you know, uh, who I knew from New York, and and uh, uh, yeah, I was uh, I was in high, you know, high cotton. I was in, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I was in a club that were if they knew me better, they'd throw my ass out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Danny mentioned to me that you uh, you work with or you hire like a lot of uh, at risk youths to uh, yeah yeah that's uh, that's really great yeah that's pretty much my whole crew you know uh, and uh, yeah yeah they're they're good kids they're they're good artists and uh, you know I mean they, you know truthfully art art uh, is what kept me from going off the rails so I I, I think that. Uh, you know, in the Chicago public schools, when art and music went out of the curriculum, I, I think they surrendered uh, uh, a, a vital thing. You know, and I mean, if you're looking for somebody who art saved their life, well, here I am. You know, uh, this is what uh, this is where, where I found uh, you know salvation. You know. So yeah, yeah, I work with uh, a lot of kids. We own a couple galleries that show uh, artists who ought to be known better and emerging talent. And uh, one of them, Firecat, we take no percentage of sales. Um, so yeah, we tr- we 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 try to uh, you know exhibit some community building. We try to be part of that, you know, be part of uh, something that's inclusive rather than cliquish and backbiting and bitchy and you know we want to be part of the solution not the problem yeah i think when you come like i came from a very working class family and uh, i got involved i wanted to do theater and and there's an element i mean you know there was a rough element to my family and it i I might may as well have told my mom like my irish catholic mom i was gay like it was like yeah exactly You you can't do that well, it could be worse. There are worse things than telling your parents that that you're gay. It's oh, telling them you're telling them you're a Cub fan would be worse. You know. Uh oh. <laughs> you know. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, the thing about Irish families and, and big families is that, especially in working class families, is that we, we don't see ourselves in that that world. You know, it, it's something. Uh, 
you know, I mean, I'm lucky. I mean, I, my mother encouraged this. My dad just wanted me to get a fucking job, you know, but eventually in time he understood it, you know, but my mother, you know, when I, when I, I was like a 22 year old bus boy and barely making it. And my mother bought my art supplies for me, you know, uh, she never gave up, you know, she never has never stopped raising me. I'm, I'm about to be 55 years old and, uh, my mother's still raising me, you know. <laughs> I, I still benefit greatly from uh, from her counsel, you know. So I've been very, very lucky. Um, my mom wrote poetry before she married my father, so she she understood how important art was, you know. And uh, I'm uh, fortunate for that. Yeah, it's. I think when you come from those worlds, it's it, it's a little harder to find. To find your way to, uh, to it, to and uh, well, I think my, I think my father's greatest fear was that how are you going to feed yourself? How are you going to get a job? I mean, my parents were children of the depression. I mean, that's you know, my mom's eighty nine. I mean, when she when she was growing up, there was a great depression going on, and uh, you know, poverty was not an abstraction. It was not something that happened to other people. It was something that was happening right outside their door. And it had definable features. My, I remember my mother and my grandmother and my great-grandmother, who lived to be 106, who came from Ireland, you know, um, telling stories about when men would come to the door and ask if they could fix the fence or paint the garage or, or uh, you know, cut the grass for, uh, for a sandwich, you know. And uh, my my grandmother never turned any of them away. She never let them in the house. She was a widow, and then the whole thing would seem unseemly. But she put like a tea linen out on the porch and a bowl of soup and a sandwich, or you know whatever they had. I mean, they they uh, uh, my mother instilled good values this way on us that that, that poverty could happen to anyone. And, uh, you know, this, my parents' fears about me being able to make a living, they weren't groundless. You know, they had seen real poverty and real hunger in their lives and, uh, um, you know, wanted, you know, badly for me to avoid anything like that. And, you know, for the longest time with my, my, my drinking and everything, it was, you know, it was not an out of the realm possibility. So, uh. You know, while my father was was reticent to you know accept the idea of me, you know pursuing life as an artist, my my mother never backed up a step. You know, I mean, absolutely. It 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 also must be great to see to be able to help these kids and see them grow as artists. I mean, well, the truth of it is, is that you know, there's also a real selfish element. I learn a lot from them. You know, I mean, I I learn more about music, about uh, what's going on. There's a there's a currency that they bring to the, this equation, this exchange. You know, um, you know, I mean, I never, you know, could really get what hip hop and rap were about until I had kids working for me who listened to it, and and now I get it. Now I I, I get, I understand what they see in it. You know, and. Uh, I've learned a lot from them. You know, they turn me on the books and music and, uh, um, 
you know, the computer, you know, which I am still learning, you know, um, uh, you know, the, this is stuff they grew up with. So, I mean, it's all kind of second nature to them. So, you know, I've benefited greatly from having, uh, a lot of young people working for me, you know, um, and a couple of great young artists, you know, uh, Ashkan Haidari, uh, who, who makes these amazing drawings. And, uh, you know, like me, was a kid who got kicked out of school a lot and, and didn't have much respect for authority. But, uh, you know, he had his first show last year, um, Jesse Akramowitz, uh, who's a young woman who makes gorgeous pieces that are informed by graffiti and hip-hop and... Uh, and also, you know, painting from like Mexico and Eastern Europe and, you know, they've opened a lot of doors for me. I mean, they've made me think about things I wouldn't have otherwise thought about. So, um, I, I would, I would hazard to say they've taught me more than I've taught them, you know? That's, that's great. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I used to teach a lot of, uh, improv to high school kids and it's like, it's, just, oh yeah, you, you, but you get surprised because you're like you think oh, I'm the adult, the smart one, and you're like, oh shit, I, these kids <laughs> are a lot more savvy than I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I hear you, man. I hear you. And uh, just anyway, oh, I was just, oh, just going to ask you about the upcoming show uh, and just to plug yeah, it opens a uh, week from Friday night. It opens November 29th. It's called Lunch Drawings and. Uh, it's, you know, two or three different works in progress, but a, a bunch of them are just drawings I made, you know, sitting around in the afternoon, you know, lunchtime or, uh, and then they evolved into this kind of special body of work, you know, and, and, and some of them became this tribute to Lou Reed. Uh, um, I'm making uh, a line-by-line portraits of the song, uh, Walk on the Wild Side. Uh, it's the best way I know to honor my friend. So it's a, it's a very cool show. It's at Firecat in Chicago, which is twenty one twenty four North Damon. Um, it's a space I run with. Uh, uh, actually, the space is run by Stanley Klein, uh, who's my uh, my theater partner. We 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 do our plays together. This train and stations lost and nickel history. Um, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm just working like a dog now to uh, finish the last few things and get everything framed and, you know, be ready. But it's a big show. It's, you know, 60 or 70 pieces. Um, you know, I work harder than a $10 whore at a Teamster convention, you know. <laughs> you know? It keeps me off the street and keeps me out of trouble, so... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be using that phrase very soon. There you go, man. I'm busier than a cat burying shit, you know? So, anyway, look, thank you. Uh, thank you for this conversation. Thanks for taking an interest, man. Um, thank you. My web, my my diary is uh, TonyFitzpatrick.wordpress.com, and uh, please welcome your listeners to it. And uh, I will. And again, thank you for uh, shining a light on my little world. I appreciate it. Thank you for taking out the time. All right, man. Take care. You too. Hey, thank you very much for listening to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. Please 
Check out my other episodes. If this is your first time listening, peruse through my long list here. I've got over 75 shows at this point. Also, check out the other shows on Feral Audio. There's uh, so many goddamn good ones, I don't know where to start. I would just say randomly pick a show and listen to it, because I don't know if Feral Audio is capable of doing a bad show. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and I love you.
branch of the United States government, it is the mission of the National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.